0: All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday night. We're glad you're here. We're in the book of Hebrews. If you're new to us, we're teaching verse by verse. We're in Hebrews 11, the Great Hall of Faith. It has been called as it chronicles many stories of overcoming and enduring faith. And it would be tempted, I think, tempting for anybody who maybe has a cursory uh, knowledge of Scripture to. Skip all that came before Hebrews 11 and go right to that chapter, but you can't really divorce Hebrews 11 from what's come before it. It's very important that you connect the two in your mind, and I'll show you some of those connections as we deal with it tonight. Tonight, we're going to deal with the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 11. I've called it renewing your faith because I believe that that is part of what the writer is trying to accomplish And when you know the history of what's been going on with this little Hebrew congregation, you know that they needed some encouragement, they needed endurance, and they needed their faith to be renewed. And I would imagine that in this room, uh, the renewing of your faith is not a foreign concept to any of us. Sometimes we might even say our faith needs to be reborn (laughs) a time or two or three or four. Amen? Uh, Jesus was preaching on forgiveness, I think, in The book of Luke and the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. And that's a good prayer. Some of you may consider that a bit of a dangerous prayer, because you know the Lord's in the faith-stretching business, and you may get some faith lessons uh, if you pray prayers like that. But you're probably going to get them anyway, so you might as well just pray for them, because the Lord's sovereign and all of that. Anyway, uh, Hebrews 11, we're going to stand, if you're able to stand with us tonight, for the reading of the first six verses. Renewing your faith, I pray your, your faith will be renewed tonight as we study God's word. And here's how it reads. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he had had obtained the witness that before his being taken up, He was pleasing to God and without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If you have a new King James, those who diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your living word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We know that our faith, if we have our ears open, is going to be encouraged tonight And maybe even challenged. Would you help us to have ears to hear what you would say to us? Because we know you want our faith to be built up. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and live a life of faith and obtain a testimony. And the testimony is not about what man thinks. Ultimately, it's about your testimony of us. God bearing witness. We want to please you in every respect, Father. Help us with that. It's a battle but we know the battle ultimately belongs to you. So we just pray that you'll use tonight as you would shape us more into the image of your son. In Christ Jesus, we pray, all God's people said, amen. 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 Last week, we were in the prayer room, and Brother Ron, uh, I I affectionately call him the apostle, uh, the beloved apostle, had on his heart a Bible verse, and that Bible verse was in Luke I'd like you to hold your place in the book of Hebrews and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, maybe we can throw the verse up on the screen. Luke 22. This is a famous exchange between Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Luke 22. And this was what Ron had brought up as we were, we will normally share a, a verse but uh, many people share verses as we are back in the prayer room, but this was on Ron's heart, and here's what it says. Jesus speaking, Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I, Luke twenty two thirty two, 32, have prayed for you. Notice that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to both go to prison, to go both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. When, if you turn back to the book of Hebrews, uh, when this exchange occurred the Lord provided an insight to Peter into the spiritual realm and kind of a little interesting nugget that apparently if Satan wants to sift us, he needs to run that by Jesus, which I think is really good news. Amen. Uh, It was Martin Luther who said that the devil is God's devil and what he meant by that is that ultimately the devil is not God's equivalent on the evil side of the equation. God is God. He is above all. The devil's on a leash, as it were. And the devil had come to Jesus, the sovereign God, God in human flesh, and asked permission, demanded permission, to sift him. That's not a positive, by the way. He wasn't saying, I want to make Peter a little bit better for use in your kingdom. No. He was saying, I want to destroy him, 1 Peter 5.8, Peter will say, that same Peter will say, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to what? To devour, to drink you down or destroy you. So an insight. Now, if you're Peter, you, you might be thinking, Lord, did you really need to tell me this? <laughs> you know, why do I need to know this? And the Lord said, but I've prayed for you that your faith, key word for tonight, that your faith is, would not fail. And so we asked the question in the prayer room, did Peter's faith fail? Because we know what happened, right? And, and Peter, I would say with some spiritual pride, this was an insight into why Peter fell. Peter said, I'm ready to die with you. He said, I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die. And then famously, he said, though all forsake you, I will never forsake you. That's spiritual pride. And spiritual pride will get you in trouble. And here's what spiritual pride sounds like I'm the only Christian in this city who takes his or her Bible seriously. I'm the only one that comes on Wednesday nights, oh, you're not the only one, early enough to pray or whatever. I'm the only one who does this. I'm the only preacher who does this, whatever you want to say. And though all abandon you. I will never. I'm ready to die for you. Are you, Peter? I tell you, this very night, you're going to say that you don't even know me, and you're going to say it three times that you don't know me. Now, the Lord's prayer for Peter was that his faith would not fail Why did Peter fail in the Garden of Gethsemane? Let's fast forward. We all know the story. Jesus prays three times, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And he tells Peter, James, and John, stay here and pray. Wait and pray, lest you fall into temptation. And then famously says, the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Now they were, you know the the gospel writers tell us they, they were heavy from sorrow and they out and there was a lot coming at them and they were the, their eyes were heavy and they slept and i believe it's in the gospel of either mark or luke where jesus specifically says to peter couldn't you stay awake with me for 1 hour now peter had spiritual pride peter slept when he should have been praying, the Lord warned him, you need to pray right now because you're gonna face temptation that you can't imagine. And then when Peter was confronted with that temptation, we know what happened. He fell on his face. He fell hard. And the text tells us that after he passed Jesus in the courtyard, Jesus just looked at him. There were no words exchanged, but no words were needed. Some believe that it was a, work, a look of, oh, Peter, Some believe it was a look of love. Some people would say maybe a combination of both, oh, Peter, what did you do? and a look of love and assurance. But Peter failed, but he loved the Lord. And the Lord, in this prophetic word to Peter, said to him, when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. And here's what we know about Peter, right? He fell, but he rose again. And Peter's denial didn't define him ultimately. Peter was used radically in the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts to preach the kingdom of God, to preach the gospel, to stand in that very city where he had fallen, to stand strong. Peter failed, but he loved the Lord. So you could say in one sense, his faith did not fail, but Peter failed. Why did Peter fail? Because he trusted too much in himself, He overestimated his ability to do things as Peter instead of Peter empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is when we get in trouble. This is what's happening in the Hebrew church. Their faith is teetering. Some people, Hebrews 10, 24, 25, Alex preached it to us, have stopped habitually coming to the assembly. They are no longer fellowshipping with other believers and therefore they're not being provoked to love and good deeds their faith is not being stretched or encouraged or challenged they are some of them have been running out of steam some of them have watched longtime friends who profess faith in Christ return to the temple others have seen perhaps leaders persecuted and the writer has been telling them about these things he warns them not to forsake fellowship we have dealt with, I think, four, there go my glasses, four of the five warning passage in the, passages in the book of Hebrews, serious passages about if you go back, if you return to the old covenant, there's no longer a sacrifice for sin, right? If you have tasted of the heavenly gift and then you go back and you try to go back to the old covenant, there, there's no forgiveness there. You can't go back. But people have watched their friends go back. Maybe you have. Maybe someone influential in your life has walked away from the faith. They no longer show up for gatherings, whether it's Sunday or Wednesday or some other time. And maybe you would say, my faith is teetering at the moment. It could be a whole host of things. Maybe some things you're going through personally. Maybe some questions you have about the Lord. Verse 36, chapter 10 says, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. You need to endure. And then verse 39 at the end of chapter 10, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith. You see the, see the connection? It, the original letter didn't have chapter breaks in it. It was one seamless letter. So the is saying, this is, the, this is what, the condition that you're in. And it's nice to know the problem, right? We all, uh, we appreciate a diagnosis, but we also would like to know a solution. How can I be encouraged? If endurance is what I need, if I need my faith to be strengthened again, if you need your faith renewed tonight, if you need your faith even maybe perhaps, if we could put it this way, reborn tonight, what do we need to hear? Well, the writer of Hebrews anticipates this by, of course, the leading of the Spirit. And he's going to define faith, at least one definition of faith. And then he's going to give us faces to faith. How many of you are encouraged when you hear faith stories? Some of you enjoy reading missionary accounts of missionaries in days gone by. Or maybe you'll turn on a television program and you'll hear someone's testimony about how they were converted out of this or that and how. Jesus changed their entire life. I uh, saw uh, an interview, Kirk Cameron on his Takeaways program was interviewing an astronaut. His name escapes me at the moment. He's been taking pictures from space for about the last two decades. And he says that his faith has been so built up by seeing the earth from space and seeing the majesty of God's creation. Things that are faith building are really important in our lives, amen? Amen. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you guys need to be reminded of these faces that have gone before you. He's gonna call them a great cloud of witnesses. What you are going through right now, you're not alone. And sometimes when we feel like our faith is maybe ebbing a little bit or we're teetering a little bit, we feel like I'm the only person in the world that's ever been through this particular thing. But you're not. You're not alone. And so um, he knew that they were feeling unsteady and he says these words. Now faith, if you're interested, the word for faith is pistis in uh, Greek, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you have an NIV, it reads this way. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith, and this, scholars would say this is not an exhaustive definition of faith. Uh, Faith has other nuances to it. You can turn the diamond a little bit and get other definitions of faith. For example, uh, just faith in the sense of trusting in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, Uh, because faith is a synonym for trust. But here, this is gonna be an active faith. This is gonna be the type of faith that they need to make it through what they're going through. Faith, simply put, is assurance, if you're taking notes, and conviction or confidence, faith is being sure. The translation uh, from the Greek word "hupostasis" uh, takes the combination "being sure" or the assurance. In the New American Standard, single Greek word "hupo" h u p o stasis s t a literally means this: that which stands under a support, a foundation, hence that which has substance, it could mean a guarantee. It speaks of what is true, real, firm, steady, qualitative, and courageous. So if you're feeling unsteady, faith is the assurance. It's going back to the support. Faith is not faith in your faith. Faith is not positive thinking. I'm just going to be positive today. I believe. I believe. The cowardly lion. I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. I do. I do. I do. He thought it was going to get him out of something. That's a poor illustration. But it's not just repeating a mantra. It's not looking deep within to find the extra strength. Although some people can do that some of the time. Human strength can can surprise us at times, but that's not what the writer's talking about here. Faith is faith in God. Faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. If you have misplaced faith, your faith can be meaningless. For example, you climb to the top of the of a big building, let's say, and you say, I believe I can fly. You have the song, you know, going through your head. I believe I can touch the sky, you know, whatever. And maybe you have a little pixie dust with you and you feel like if you sprinkle it, things will be happening for you and you take off. Well, faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. Your ability to fly will be met with a greater law called the law of gravity. Amen? So when people just talk about faith, faith has to be placed in the right person. I could say I have faith in you, and my faith in you could be built over a long-time relationship, and that might be well-placed. But faith has to have an object. Faith is object-oriented. But if you've read the Old Testament before, and I I know most of you have, you know that faith often has obstacles, For example, the walls of Jericho were an obstacle to faith in the book of Joshua. We know crossing the Jordan River was an obstacle. We know the Red Sea was an obstacle. We know Goliath was an obstacle. We know giants in the promised land were an obstacle. And faith will always have obstacles that it has to trust God to be able to cross over, to be able to defeat. Amen? Your faith is not really going to be perfected until it gets stretched or tested. And that's really, when you read the stories of the apostles in the New Testament, much of what Jesus takes them through is to stretch them, to mature them, because he knows he's gonna hand the baton of the gospel to these, primarily to 12 men, right? Judas goes out, and some believe Matthias, and some believe Paul takes his place, but nonetheless, Jesus is preparing them. And so when we go through things, we we need to know that this is one of the things that God does is he stretches us or he deepens our faith. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to get faith renewal uh, before them. Faith is confidence in God, if you want a simple definition. Faith is confidence in God, but not just any old God. Faith is confidence in capital G-O-D. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Not somebody just saying, because in our, in our culture, people will say, sure, I'm spiritual. Sure, I have faith. But when you dig down a little bit, you have to ask faith in what? What is it that you believe? Oh, I believe I'm gonna make it. Well, to what and how? I mean, these are the questions that we've got to wrestle with. Faith is treats things hoped for as reality. We walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, I think it's verse seven. So this is how we walk. And the writer's saying, now faith, New King James, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word hope for, or things hoped for, is a single Greek word, elpizo, elpizo. And it's the idea of, Looking forward with confidence. The New English Bible says, faith gives substance to our hopes. Paul in Colossians 1.5 sees faith and love as flowing out of the hope awakened by the gospel, says Stedman in his commentary. Hughes puts it this way, the more profound our faith, the more profound our hope. Faith and hope go together. Faith, hope, and love go together. You could call it a solid certainty about our blessed hope. Faith says, I know, because hope in the New Testament is not, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Hope in the, in the New Testament, Elpis or Elpizo, as we just explained, is I know it's going to happen. Faith says, I know. It's just a matter of time. Yes, I'm going to hit some bumps along the way, but faith says, I know. Abraham was looking for the city which, whose architect and builder is God. That's verse 10 of our chapter. Faith has the ability to see unseen realities, to see God's promises with new eyes. Look at verse 27 of the same chapter. Uh, talking about Moses, he endured, uh, end of the verse here, Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. 27 Uh, Let's read the whole thing. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. This is Moses. For he endured as what? Seeing him who is unseen. So every character that we're gonna meet in the book of Hebrews, we're gonna find encouragement because they pressed through difficult circumstances and they had to do it by faith. And something else to note here that when each of these people rise But the writer of Hebrews highlights when they exercise faith at pivotal moments in their life. I'm not saying that this excuses all of us to have a bunch of bad days and maybe we just hit the pinnacle, you know, for a week during our lives. Yeah, that's what God's gonna highlight on that day. No, God wants you to be persistent. That's the idea of a walk. But he also knows, he knew what he was getting when he called you. Amen? Amen? He knew you weren't perfect then. He knows you aren't perfect now. But he knows that you can mature. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope are linked together. Here's how uh, Paul puts it in Romans. When faith perseveres or endures through tribulation, it produces proven character. Proven character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen? So you can see that there's links in the chain. And when you your character gets proved, proven character produces more hope, and hope does not disappoint. Faith says, I don't understand everything, but I know God, and I know. He's able to control uh, the future. He's able to fulfill the promises that he's made. So that's faith, at least in the definition of our Hebrew writer. And he says, now this faith, verse two, chapter 11, by it, by this faith, men of old, that's the word presbyteroi. Uh, It's the idea of where we get Presbyterian. Could have the idea of an elder or an ancient one who lived long ago. That's probably the idea here. For by that faith that just was defined, Men of old gained approval. Who who did they gain approval from? God. It says in the NIV, this faith is what the ancients were commended for. An important word you need to see. Gained approval in the New American Standard is a word which root is martus. And the word martus is a witness, but The word came to be known as a martyr. The word is actually a martyr, but a martyr in the sense of one dying for what they believe. So the word martus originally was like a witness in a court of law where you would bear witness to, uh, you'd give testimony. But the word came to be known as a martyr. That is one who would bear testimony to the point of losing their own life. And so this is kind of a little book of martyrs in this sense, that they were all witnesses. To what? To a faith in God through difficult times. And so their faith was the witness. They believed God. This faith, as the writer of Hebrews defines it, is an active faith. Faith does and faith acts. Faith doesn't just merely hear the word of God and not do anything with it, amen? Faith will do something with it. James will say later in the book, I just quoted James 1.22, James 2.14 says, you, you've got to show me your faith. Uh, James was from the show me state, right? He believed that ultimately, although faith is, is trusting God, faith is going to walk itself out. Amen? Yeah. At some point, there's going to be some fruit in your life. So faith, we might say, we'll find a way. We're going to Study a story of the paralytic on Sunday, where his friends found a way to get him to Jesus so he could be touched and healed. In the book of Daniel, we know their uh, Babylonian names as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, they're facing the fiery furnace. And they say, uh, "If it be so, Daniel three seventeen and eighteen, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire." And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, Daniel 3.18, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We believe that God can and will, but even if he doesn't, I'm not bowing down to you. Now that is faith, amen? Faith is not some magic poof, Uh, Some people will try to convince you that, you know, it's some magic. That's not what it is. Faith is trusting God and his promises and living it out. When Paul lays out the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, in addition to all or above all, Ephesians 6.16, write this down for your notes, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. When Paul lays out the armor of God and tells us about spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle, one of the pieces of armor is a shield of faith. And that shield can extinguish, not some, but all of the flaming arrows of the wicked one. Now they say, uh, if you study a little Roman history, they would interlock their shields in battle. They would try to have the sun Uh, facing them so that they could blind the eyes of an army that was coming at them. And they, they could actually interlock their shields and actually put them over and move together and almost completely guard themselves. So enemies would shoot arrows with pitch on the end, and they would light them, and they would fire them off. And you guys have seen these in some movies. And what would happen is that the Roman army would soak their shields in water some people say oil, but probably water. And when the flaming arrow of the army that wanted to destroy them was shot, it would stick in their shields. Poof, poof. It'd be like, look like a flaming porcupine, as one writer put it. But it'd be sticking in your shield and not in you. Amen? That's pretty good news. If you take up your shield of faith, you will be able to extinguish every arrow that comes your way. Every one of them will stick in your shield instead of sticking in you, except if you turn around because there's no protection for the back, <laughs> right? So if you have an arrow sticking in you right now, it may be that you haven't been clothing yourself in the armor of God. And let's just put it down so we can we, we got a good handle on it. The enemy is going to attack Your faith. Take it to the bank. Every piece of armor in Ephesians 6 is custom designed by God to deal with the way that the enemy attacks. Example you have a belt of truth because the enemy is a liar, you have a breastplate of righteousness because the enemy wants you to become unrighteous or to give in to evil. So you have a breastplate. You have a helmet of salvation so that you can protect your mind from the onslaught of the enemy. Maybe you're not saved. You you have shoes of peace. Why? Because he tries to rob you of your peace and your joy. You have a shield of faith because he attacks your faith. And he'll shoot at you. Poof. But if it hits your shield, you good. Amen? And if you lock shields with other believers, you're even better. Amen? Amen? I don't need to go to church. I'm fine. (laughs) Turn around. (laughs) Looks like you got some arrows sticking in you there. Anyway. So this is the beauty of faith. And one more thing before we get into the individuals. By faith, verse 3, Hebrews 11, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. We saw this early on in the book Chapter one, verses two and three. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? Scholars say ex nihilo. Out of non-existing materials. He spoke the universe into existence, that, my brothers and sisters, is power. Let there be light, and light said, okay. I don't know how that works. He said to the sea, you can only go this far, and it went, Imagine the millions of forms of plants and animals and their interactions. Take a look, study astronomy a little bit and the size of the stars just in the Milky Way galaxy and the number of stars. I was telling you about that astronaut taking pictures from a space station. You, you see the stars out there? I mean, I don't even know. There's no words. This creation is so grand and scientists, physicists will tell you that everything's held together by some force, some unseen power—the atom, etc. The the distance between the sun and the earth, the moon and the earth, etc. The rotation of planets and others spinning the other way. Did you hear about Pluto? You remember that Pluto was rendered as no longer a planet. Did you guys hear about that? Wasn't it Pluto? Uh, Brian Regan tried to illustrate that. He said, can you imagine that meeting? Hey, Pluto, come on in. We, we've been having a board meeting. Well, what is it? Well, <laughs> we got some bad news. You're no longer a planet. Imagine being Pluto. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you might need a little humor at that point what is holding it all together Jesus Christ holds everything together by the word of his power yeah. now someone might say I don't I don't I don't believe that I believe that everything that we see came from well they they have the same view they they believe it all came from nothing uh, they believe that there was a Something like the period of it at the end of a sentence has started spinning. This is, this is actually evolutionary theory. And they keep, have, they keep having to change the date to billions and billions and more billions of years ago because we're not seeing any of this stuff happen. But when Mount St. Helens happened, things were fossilized in a matter of minutes because there was a cataclysmic worldwide flood, brothers and sisters. That gets denied in a lot of academia. Here's the point something's holding it all together. One evolutionist put it this way he said, You know, I'm scared uh, that there is a God and uh, he's steering the ship, and I don't know him. He was an atheist. He said, there, there's two options that scare me. One, there is a God running everything and I don't know him. I don't have a relationship to, with him. Or the other option is there's no God and nobody's steering. Both frighten me, he said. Because truth be told, if there is no God, nobody is steering, right? But you look at the meticulous order of the cell, DNA the uh, cosmos, the human body. Just think for a moment. How could all of this happen by accident? It's not logical. You're in a building that was designed and your body is much more complex and nobody would believe that this evolved over millions and millions of years. Yeah, the window just decided. (laughs) And then the door, you know. And I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I will tell you, evolutionary theory, that's really what it teaches. And we, we don't observe things coming from nothing. And then the atheist says, aha, that's why I got you. Who made God then? But see, God is a non-contingent being. What does that mean? It means that he started everything, including time. And that's what the Bible teaches. It, it's not easy for me to get it, into this noggin, this finite brain, and that's the writer's point. Do you see it in verse three? By faith we understand. This is not a blind leap. Yeah, I just believe it. No, it's an evidential leap. I believe the most logical explanation of what we see is a designer, an awesome chemist, an incredibly powerful God. The God of Scripture. I believe that's a logical conclusion. But can I explain everything to you that I just laid out briefly not, and not even so well? No. But by faith, the visible that I do see takes me to that conclusion and much more than that, right? I have the Holy Spirit living in me, I have the historicity of God's Word, Jesus, etc. So, this is what he's saying. Before he puts a human face to his argument, he puts the face of creation before us. As if to say, look, just look. Look around. There's a God. He loves you. He has a plan. He started it. He's going to finish it. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the Aleph Tav. He is the beginning and the end. He started it. And he'll wrap it when he wants to. And thank God you're part of his plan. Amen. Amen? So creation is an example of faith seeing invisible realities that is God and his power and activity in creation. And of course it's before us, the writer of Psalm 19, he says, day and night we're bombarded with this evidence. Romans 1:20 puts it this way. Since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been what? Clearly seen, being understood, you could say by faith, through. God is the awesome creator. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command, NIV, verse 3, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. One writer says, sadly today, many deny their creator. They're like the piano mice who lived all their lives in a large piano. The music of the instrument came to them in their piano world, filling all the dark spaces with sound and harmony. At first, the mice were impressed by it. They drew comfort and wonder from the thought that there was someone who made the music, though invisible to them, someone above, yet close to them. They loved to think of the great player whom they could not see. Then one day a daring mouse climbed up part of the piano and returned very thoughtful. He had found out how the music was made. Wires were the secret, tightly stretched wires of graduated lengths and that trembled and vibrated. They must revive all their old beliefs. None but the most conservative could any longer believe in the unseen player." Later, another explorer carried the explanation further. Hammers were now the secret. Great numbers of hammers dancing and leaping on the wires. That was a more complicated theory, but it all went to show that they lived in a purely mechanical and mathematical world. The unseen player came to be thought of as a myth, though the pianist continued to play. For the believer, those who know the pianist, it is also clear by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry hosts, by the breath of his mouth, he commanded and it stood firm. Amen? Amen. We have a great cloud of witnesses and the great cloud of witnesses is people who have trusted in God, but it's also the creation all around you. Day and night it pour forth speech. And of course, on, when we go up to the mountains or maybe go to the beach, we see it a little bit more clearly. Okay, I'm going to take the Abel example and we're done. I'm not going to move to Enoch tonight because we'll be out of time. Let's just look at verse four together as the first human example. By faith, Abel, his name means breath or vapor, offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks Now no doubt the writer was thinking of Genesis 1 when he mentions the cosmos or the creation he, his first I think it's seven examples in Hebrews 11 are all from Genesis In fact the first 3 are from Genesis 4 Genesis 5 and Genesis 6 Now I don't have to tell you about Cain and Abel because I think you all know the story They were brothers and Abel was a keeper of the the flock and if we uh, just note Genesis chapter four, verse two, she gave birth to Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks. Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, they both brought an offering. And uh, each of them brought an offering from what he did. Uh, one from his flock, that is Cain, or let's, let's go back there just so I, we have it down. Genesis, the first book of our Bibles. Genesis 4. It came about, verse 3, in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, Abel on his part also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel And for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And we know what happened. Cain uh, didn't master it. Sin was crouching at his door. And rather than dealing with himself, he killed his brother because God had regard for Abel's offering and not for Cain's. Now there's, you could read volumes on why, but here's I think what the, the Bible at least hints at if not giving us definitively. Cain's offering was not from a, Uh, the righteousness by faith. He didn't have a right heart with God and he wasn't walking by faith. Abel was. I think both offerings are legitimate offerings. You'll see people say, oh, only the animal sacrifice was the legitimate one, but there are also sacrifices in the Bible that are from the, uh, the harvest and so forth. So I don't think that's it. I think the problem with Cain is that he wasn't walking by faith. And Abel was. Listen to First John 3:11 and 12. For this is the message which you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother, for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Jesus will talk about the righteous blood of Abel in the scriptures in Matthew 23. What do we learn from this? Well, we know that the biggest problem in the Hebrew church, if you will, was the pressure not to believe in justification by faith. Follow me in this argument just for a second. Remember, we're talking about two offerings here and which was acceptable to God. And the whole issue in the Hebrew context that we've been studying is that certain Hebrew believers just couldn't wrap their mind around Jesus and the better sacrifice. Listen to those words. Jesus's sacrifice is a better sacrifice. It's a superior one. Cain's sacrifice, as compared to Abel's, was a lesser sacrifice. But why? Because Cain did not bring it by faith. What's the main issue doctrinally in the Hebrew early believers? They they just, some of them have been talked out of the new covenant. They just can't accept that an offering made by Christ once for all cleanses them from all sin. So they walk in the way of Cain, if you will. They reject the gospel. They think they've got to bring a different kind of offering, if you will. They won't accept the new covenant, the better sacrifice. I think this is the illusion that the writer of Hebrews is getting at. It's a little bit underneath, if you will, but it hit me as I was studying that I think this is what's going on here. They are wrestling, and we've seen this many times in Hebrews, with an evil heart of unbelief, much like Cain. The Lord warned him, sin is crouching at your door. You need to do a little self-assessment and you need to get right with me and sin will go away. It will flee. But he didn't deal with the sin issue. He didn't deal with his unbelieving heart. And he cracked open the door and sin was waiting. It was lurking and it got in there and he got angry and what did he do? He took it out on his brother. Please hear me, brethren. What's happening in the Hebrew church is that brother has now been faced off with brother. The Jewish community is divided around the issue of Messiah and the new covenant. And some brothers... Are taking it out on their brothers. And some will pay the ultimate price in the unfolding history of the church. You even know that Saul, who you, we could say walked in the way of Cain, took it out on his brothers and sisters. And he was going all over the place. And he stood there while Stephen was killed, right? He gave the vote yes, he should die. Brother against brother, the issue an offering. The issue, whether or not one's going to believe the new covenant or the old covenant, and then what you're going to do with it. I believe this is what's a little bit underneath the surface here, and it's bringing out the issue going on in this Hebrew church. And so you say, well, why didn't God stop it? Why did God allow Cain to kill his brother? And do you remember how the story unfolds? Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he's at. Well, I hear the voice of your brother's blood crying to me from the ground. The blood of Jesus Christ, superior to the blood of bulls and goats, the righteous blood of Christ, shed for the sins of the world. Amen. Here's where we go to the gospel. Here's here's where we have the real issue. Here's what the writer is saying. I know what you're going through. You're you're going through something that is all the way back in our biblical history between two brothers, Cain and Abel. And you need to hold on. Because even if you die for your faith, and you all know you're going to die of something, right? You all realize that? (laughs) Let me ask you, do you want to serve the master or not with the time that you got? So, In the book of Hebrews, it says that Abel is still speaking. J. Vernon McGee died, what, in the 1970s? At that time, they were airing his tapes. And he said, play the tapes until the the money runs out. The money hasn't run out. You know, an old country preacher has his messages being heard all over the world. It's amazing. May God richly bless you, my beloved. And, that, and people jump on the Bible bus in India and bush country and who knows where. And the Lord has given a testimony. Here's the testimony Abel uh, received. He was righteous. God, 11, four of Hebrews, testified about his gifts. And through faith, though he's dead, he still speaks. If you live only for yourself, you will have no testimony. And people talk about testimonies all day long. You know, I was looking at some athletic statues the other day and they're cool, right? And you know, A famous announcer, a famous athlete, a statue, cool, a banner, nice. But you ain't here to appreciate it if you're gone, right? Well, other people will remember me. Yeah, maybe for playing a sport. But here's my point. God testifies about Abel and says, righteous. And Abel's still speaking. If you want a life that will continue to reverberate through time for that which is eternal, then be devoted to God. Amen? Walk by faith, not by sight. Oh, it's not always going to be easy and you're not always going to get all the kudos that maybe you get in other context. But I'll tell you this, when it's all said and done, I want my life to count for what's going to be changing souls. Father, thank you for this section of Hebrews. Thank you that we can dive in and dig a little bit deeper into the truths of the word of God. They are a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I pray tonight that you would renew faith, renew biblical faith, make us steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that not one thing we ever do for you is in vain when we do it with the right heart. And we know you're a rewarder and we're gonna learn next time. It's not just about faithfulness. You're a God who rewards those who seek you. And and right now we're seeking you for renewed faith. We're seeking your face because we know it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I can't do this, Lord. I fall on my face every time I'm in the flesh. I can't do it. Michael can't do it. But Christ through me, well, all things become possible. That's at least all things in your will that you want me to do. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you can use us beyond what we have the capacity to be. Oh, Lord, strengthen faith in the room tonight. Strengthen the faith of those who are listening to this who may not have been with us tonight. Lord, strengthen faith restore, renew, maybe the word reborn for some. They, they need to be have their faith reborn. And some, maybe for the first time, you're here, maybe you don't even know Christ. You've not been born again to that living hope. You've not trusted in him and him alone for your salvation in the new covenant. Trust him now. Trust in him and him alone. He is faithful to save. Thank you, Father. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.